All right, my name is Matt, and I'm the pastor here at Friendship Church, and it's great to have you with us here this morning. We are fully into the Christmas season. Many of you were here on Friday night for our family Christmas celebration, and we had a great time there together. And on Saturday, this coming Saturday, our women's Christmas event is taking place, and we'd love to have you ladies come to that as well. We have started our new Christmas series on Sundays and a couple of ways that you can be preparing your hearts during the week and spending time with Jesus during this Christmas season. One is this Advent bag that we have for families. And if you didn't get a chance to get an Advent bag last week, you can pick those up at the table right outside in the hallway here. Also, we have written this Christmas devotional for people to be meeting with Jesus over the course of this Christmas season. Uh, We ran out of these last week, and so many of you uh, didn't have a chance to pick up a physical copy that wanted one. And so these are out at the Welcome Center, and there's a bunch of them out there. And so you can get the copies of the devotionals out there at the Welcome Center. The sermon series that we're going to be in over the course of December is called The Unexpected Expected. There were prophecies for hundreds of years about this Savior King who would come. There was great anticipation in the time of Jesus that a Messiah was coming, and yet, despite the fact that God had told everyone it was going to happen, despite the fact they were anticipating it, Jesus came in so many unexpected ways that it was shocking to people. And we're going to be unpacking that over the course of the next few weeks, how all of this was expected, and yet happened in so many unexpected ways. And today we're going to start with a couple of birth uh, announcements, and I would invite you to listen to the reading of God's Word, and in order to honor God's Word, would you stand with me as we read, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many from the children, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in this time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were astonished at this delay, in the, uh, at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he would seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus is the reading of the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And our adult ministry pastor, Pastor Jason, is going to come at this time and unpack this passage for us. Oh, great. Well, this is unexpected. Uh, I was hoping my clicker would be up here. I was walking by faith, thinking it would be, and it wasn't. Don't worry, I'm mostly prepared. Whew. Well, off to a little bit of a false start there. And last time that I was preaching here, Matt was gone. Uh, so I guess this time is, it's already strike one now. I, I could say whatever I wanted last time, but whew, under the pressure now. But I think, I think, I guess I made a splash last time I preached here uh, because we did baptisms. You know what? That was a better response than the first service, so thank you very much. As Matt said, I'm Pastor Jason. I'm really excited to be opening up God's Word for us this morning. Uh, you made it through the reading. That was nice and long, wasn't it? Yeah, I did not choose the lengths of these passages. The pastors did as they were setting out to set up this series, and so Matt so kindly assigned me this one to preach, and the least I could do was allow him to read it this morning. 
But there is a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. And so we're going to jump right in together, if that's all right, with you. And the main point coming out of this uh, passage this morning is that to understand what God is doing, we need prepared and submissive hearts. That's what Luke is teaching us right here at the beginning of his gospel as he's about to, um, un- as the story of Christ is about to unfold. Luke is about to uncover who Christ is, what he does, what his life and death and resurrection and ascension mean. Um, and right here at the beginning, Luke starts with these birth announcement stories to set our hearts in the right place and to teach us that um, to understand all of this, to understand Christ and, and what he has done and what that means for us, we need prepared and submissive hearts. Um, and so, as Matt had alluded, the, the, the passage that we just read is uh, two parallel stories. Uh, so if you have your Bibles and you haven't already, you can open up to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. These are the, the stories of the announcements of the births of John the Baptist and Jesus. And we're going to start with kind of a bird's eye view level, uh, looking at how these stories are kind of parallel. Uh, that'll set us up then to zoom into John's birth announcement and see what that teaches us. Zoom into Jesus' birth announcement, see what that teaches us. Uh, and all the while, uh, hopefully we'll see how this passage teaches us to understand uh, what God is doing. We need prepared and submissive hearts. And so with laying that out before you, would you just join with me in prayer this morning? God, we come before you so thankful for your grace, so thankful for this day. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare our hearts in this moment and prepare our hearts in this season to say yes to you, Jesus, to receive your grace and to walk under your authority. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's start at the bird's eye view of this passage. Um, there are parallels uh, in this passage. And um, you're going to want to keep your noses in your Bibles right now. I'm going to go through a lot of the different parallels. And we're going to go through them kind of rapid fire just to see how these are similar stories. And so we start out, there are dozens of allusions to Old Testament prophecies in both of these stories. Think of Abraham and Sarah, how they were advanced in years and uh, Sarah was barren. Um, And advanced in years, by the way, that's a good one uh, for us who are less age challenged. That's a great one that you can share with folks who might be a little older. Uh, They're advanced in years. I love the way the Bible gives us that language. Anyways, think of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Think of the birth stories of prophets. Uh, Think of parallels to Elijah uh, and to Moses, to Rebecca, um, and to Hannah from 1 Samuel. And there's a fulfillment here of Malachi uh, and of promises that were made to David in 2 Samuel. There's fulfillments of Isaiah. Um, and they're, they're just all throughout saturated. Luke doesn't quote any of those things outright except for Malachi. He's just, he just knows his Bible. And he expects us to know our Bibles to see all of these allusions that he's making. Another is uh, the appearance of Gabriel, an angel, to announce God's plan. We see that in verse 11. You can see there in verse 26. Another is fear at the sight of the angel, verse 12 and verse 29. Uh, Women who have no earthly means of having children, verse 7 and verse 27. Prediction of miraculous sons being born, verse 13 versus verse 30. There's more. Superlative attributes given to each son, verses 15 to 17, 32 to 35. The theme of joy and rejoicing, verse 14 and verse 28. The angel's greeting to Mary literally means, Mary, rejoice. Um, The sovereign work of God. God initiates all of these things and brings them about despite human weakness and unbelief. 
There's the role of the Holy Spirit in verse 15 and verse 35. There's a questioning response to Gabriel in verse 18 and verse 34. And there's a sign given to them in verse 20 and in verse 36. Do you believe me that these are parallel stories? Yeah? You need more? Or are we good? <laughs> Luke uses this juxtaposition of stories to show how these two major figures, John the Baptist and Jesus, will have similar and important but also very different uh, roles to play in God's decisive, redemptive work. John comes first to prepare the people for God's redemption. Jesus, the greater, comes next to embody and enact God's redemption. John uh, will call us to have prepared hearts prepared for Jesus' call to submit to him, to have submissive hearts to the rule and reign of God. And I just want to give you a little uh, freebie this morning as you do your own Bible study uh, in your own time. Whenever you see parallel passages, something like this, or, or parallel things in maybe poetry or wherever else, look also for the differences, because sometimes the differences are where we can really hone in on what God is saying in those passages, and as similar as these stories may be, they have major differences as well. Where John prepares the people, Jesus uh, rules the people. John's role is temporary. Uh, Jesus' reign is eternal. John is presented as a prophet, Jesus as the very Son of God. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is himself the Holy One. Which is why John will become great before the Lord, but Jesus ontologically, inherently, is great and the Son of the Most High. John's work is to call our hearts to preparation. Preparation for the greater work of Jesus. Preparation for hearts that are submissive to the rule and reign of God in Christ. Right? To understand what God is doing, we need both the prepared and the submissive hearts. And so with all that being said and the groundwork being laid, we can zoom into John's birth announcement. And John's birth announcement teaches us to have prepared hearts. There are things in life that we'll miss or we'll misunderstand if we're not prepared to see them. When my wife and I took a trip to California, we reached out to a good friend and asked him, hey, where should we go when we're out there? We've never been there. What's, you know, what are the must-sees or must-stops? He told us to go to Porto's Bakery and to order their potato balls. Okay? Does that sound appetizing to anybody? Or worth it? We trusted him. And i got to tell you, this may have been the greatest tip when it comes to food that I've ever received. Okay, but, but that's still open for debate. So if you want to try to outdo that one, feel free. See me afterwards. Oh, I mean, it, it's this lightly baked breading on the outside. It gives way to this creamy, buttery mashed potato layer stuffed with peas and meat and herbs. Mm, I would have missed this had I not been prepared for it, but my heart and my stomach had been well prepared for such glory. And that's what John's birth announcement does for us. It teaches us to have prepared hearts so that we don't miss or misunderstand Jesus. 
And we start in verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can follow along there as we kind of just uh, sprint through the stories. Uh, we see this righteous couple of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they, they both, they're, they're described as coming from a priestly line. And so that has some prominence uh, in the Jewish world. But they didn't have kids, which was weird because you've got the prominence of priestly line. You've got them both being described as righteous, kind of in a double way, which means like, oh, they're extra really righteous. And in the Jewish world, it's, it's weird that, wait, well, why don't they have kids? Because the belief was if you were faithless to God, uh, you might be barren. But if, but if you were faithful to God, if you walked righteously, he's going to give you a whole litter. So what's going on here? Well, it sets us up to start thinking, all ready to prepare our hearts and say, oh, God's going to do something different. God's going to act in a way that maybe uh, is outside of our expectations, right? It sets us up for that. That's what's kind of going on here right at the beginning of the story. Luke narrates this tension uh, that the original readers would have picked up on. The story moves on. Zechariah then, he's in the temple performing a service. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for this guy. There were 24 divisions of priests. There were so many priests that you were lucky if you had one chance in your life to do, do this type of offering in the temple. So here's Zechariah getting his chance. You're not allowed to do it again a second time because they want to give other people a chance to do it as well. So Zechariah is there, and while he's here, he sees an angel, and this angel tells him that his advanced in years, barren wife was going to have a son. Verse 14, uh, look there, there will be much joy and delight at his birth, and not just for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for everybody, because God is doing something uh, remarkable here and then look at the description of this son in verse 15 with me. You can see it there. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. John's role is to prepare the hearts of God's people. Right there. Uh, at, at the end of verse 17, it, it says that he will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It's kind of repetitive. Make ready, people prepared. John's work is preparatory. John is set out as a great prophet here. And what do prophets do? More than just foretelling of, of what's to come, prophets, their primary thing is foretelling, of telling the people what God is doing and helping people make sense of what's happening in the world around them and knowing how to respond to that. That's what John's role is here. John's birth announcement, everything about it teaches us to have prepared hearts for what God is doing so that we can see and understand and make sense of what he's going to do in Christ Jesus. There's a few things from this passage. If you're wondering, well, what is a prepared heart? We can learn. A prepared heart is soft towards God. You can see in verse 17, I'm going to kind of cut right into the middle of it here. It says that John will turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. That means that he'll soften the, the, the people's hearts towards God and to his ways. Right at the end of Malachi, in, in chapter 4, verse 5, which, by the way, this is incredible. What, which book of the Bible is Malachi? What number is it in terms of, well, not number. That's too hard of a question. 
I'll just tell you the answer. I don't know how to phrase this question. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's the last, it's the last uh, recording of prophecy that the people had as they were waiting for the Messiah to come. So the last chapter, the last verses of the last book of the Old Testament, here right at the beginning in Luke 1, is now being fulfilled. We're picking up right where we left off. That's what Luke is doing here uh, by, by fulfilling, having John the Baptist fulfill Malachi uh, chapter 4. And, and in verse 5 there in, in Malachi, God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, before God's decisive redemptive work. That's what John fulfills in verse 17 when it gives us that weird phrase of he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What does that mean? Malachi 4, 5. He's fulfilling this. The prophet is coming before the decisive redemptive act. God's about to do something crazy. We got to prepare. We got to get ready. And, and what is the spirit and power of Elijah doing? It's preparing God's people for God's salvation. A prepared heart is soft towards God. It's, it's a heart that exchanges unbelief for unwavering faith. It's a heart that exchanges disobedience for decisive submission. It's hearts that acknowledge that God's way is right and good, not our own. It's hearts that are ready to see uh, God work despite our circumstances. It's a heart that's going to say, God, you can bring life from an empty womb. And you know what? If we can believe that God can bring life from an empty womb, we can believe God can bring life from an empty tomb, right? That's what a prepared heart means, a heart that's soft towards God, that he's going to work. Even through these priestly people who for some reason don't have kids, God's going to do something there. Is your heart soft towards God this morning? A prepared heart is soft towards others. Verse 17 there also says that John, he won't just turn um, the hearts of the disobedient to the ways of the righteous, but he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, which is another fulfillment of Malachi 4. The most influential, one of the most influential relationships that exist, a parent to child, that serves as as an example to highlight the tenderness that a prepared heart has towards others. See, God's actions are always outward oriented. He doesn't bless Abraham to say, hey, have a great life, man. It's going to be awesome for you. Live in your mansion and your, or I guess your palace and it'll be cool. He says, I'm going to bless you to make you a blessing to others. Right? A prepared heart says, God, I'm ready for you not to work for me, but to work in me and through me. A prepared heart is soft towards others. We won't be ready to receive what Jesus has for us if, if we're not looking to, to bless the world with his love, if we're not ready and soft uh, and ready to love our neighbors as ourselves. Our prepared heart is soft towards others. Is your heart soft towards others this morning? And finally, a prepared heart is ready for God's decisive, redemptive work on God's terms. Once again, I'm going to beat this dead horse. Uh, Verse 17 is a fulfillment of Malachi 4. In Malachi 4, God tells his people to make sure they are prepared for that day. And he says in verse 1, It will come burning like an oven, and the arrogant will be consumed. Here we're talking God's decisive, redemptive work. 
when God acts, we, we, we call this kind of the, the unity of God or um, he is a, he's a sim- the simplicity of God. When God acts, all of who he is, all of his attributes are present in all of his actions. So when God acts to save in his mercy and grace, at the very same time, his wrath and his judgment are present as well. What we experience depends on where our hearts are at. We, it, God can act in a decisive way in salvation, and we, if our hearts are humble, soft towards God and soft towards others, we will be on the right side of that salvation. We will receive his grace and his mercy, while at the same time, if our hearts are not soft towards God, soft towards others, if our hearts are not humble but arrogant like Malachi says, we will receive in that decisive moment God's wrath and God's judgment, a prepared heart is ready for God's decisive, redemptive work on God's terms. The question is, where's your heart? Is your heart prepared this morning? Is it soft towards God? Is it soft towards others? Is it, is it humble, unlike the arrogant in Malachi 4, who will be consumed? A people prepared is what John will make God's people that could be one of the mantras of God's church. Prepared for God to act miraculously. Prepared for God to act outside of what we think he's going to do. Prepared for God to act in ways uh, that we can't even conceive of. Prepared for God to have his way. For God to save and deliver and for God to heal. Do you have a prepared heart this morning? John's birth announcement teaches us to have a prepared heart. And, and we learn from Jesus' birth announcement that if we have a prepared heart, we'll be set up to have submissive hearts. Because Jesus' announcement, the difference now in the parallel stories, is that John prepares us to submit to the king. He teaches us to have submissive, obedient hearts. John's mission is to prepare hearts to submit to Jesus. Why? Why submit to Jesus? Luke goes out of his way to show us that Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is a lot of things. Jesus is portrayed in a high priestly context in some ways. He's portrayed uh, as a a great prophet. He's portrayed as a great teacher. Jesus is portrayed as the son of God. He's our savior. He's God in the flesh. But Luke zooms in and focuses in here on the nature of Christ as king. Uh, You you can see this as uh, Mary's story unfolds. Verse 27, Luke points out that Joseph, Mary's husband or betrothed, is from the house of David, right? A, a, A kingdom reference. Verse 32, he'll be great. He'll be the son of the Most High, which was a Jewish designation for a great king. The throne of his father David is mentioned in verse 32. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will have no end. It's all language about Jesus as supreme promised king. So so we get these parallel stories where John prepares us. Prepares us for what? To submit to the good king. God is doing something, and we will miss out if our hearts are not ready to submit to it. That's what's going on here. John's role is to prepare our hearts to receive the king. 
let me remind us all that receiving Jesus as king doesn't just mean, yeah, Jesus, you can be king of these things. You can be king of that, but over here, I'm going to do what I want. Receiving Jesus as king doesn't just mean receiving all the protection and all the safety and the peace of mind. Receiving Jesus as king means that we are receiving his authority. And that's why John needs to prepare us, because we, we like to be our own authority, or we like to find our authority somewhere else. But John prepares our hearts to receive Jesus and to receive his authority and to be able to see God's doing something through this individual. God's doing something through this person. He's doing something new. A submissive heart humbly recognizes the sovereignty of God. I mean, that's a part of this submission to Christ's authority. We can see God's sovereignty in both stories. Look at how God acts. Isn't that what we need? We need God to act on our behalf. I mean, that's the whole point of the gospel. Look, Gabriel is sent by God to both Zechariah and Mary, right? God takes the initiative to send a messenger to both of them. God works in Elizabeth, and he brings life where there was no life. I mean, he miraculously brings life to an empty womb. And when he does this, Elizabeth hides for five months. She doesn't go tell anybody about what God is doing. God is the one clearly in control and doing all the work. God prepares it all. God executes it all. He uses human participants not because of their goodness, but in spite of our weakness. You know what we call that? We call that grace. Gabriel approaches Mary in verse 28. Look there. Comes to Mary and says, Greetings, favored one. He says, The Lord is with you. In verse 30, he tells her, You found favor with God. And in verse 35, she's told, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Most High will overshadow you in protection. Why does Mary receive such favor from God? Is it because of how spiritual she is? She's up at 5 a.m. every morning, going to caribou, reading her Bible, taking a picture of it, posting it on Instagram, making you feel really guilty. Oh, so she gets to play this role in the kingdom, right? Is it because she's in the right place at the right time? God just chose this location, and boom, there was Mary. It's because of God's grace that Mary is called favored one. It's because of God's grace that she receives God's favor to do this work. Can I remind you of that this morning? That if you know Jesus, if you've trusted in him, God's favor rests upon you. That God delights in you. Not because of anything that we've done. In fact, despite all of the things that we have done, despite our rebellion and our rebellious hearts, despite those things, God's favor rests upon his people. And it's those who can humbly accept this free gift that can receive God's grace. Our response should be the same as Mary's. To submit to God's will, to submit to his lordship, and to receive his grace. Right? John fulfilled Malachi 4, where the arrogant, the prideful, are consumed by God's wrath on the day of his coming, on his decisive redemptive work. See, it's the prepared, humble heart that submits to God's sovereignty that receives God's grace in that day. It's the humble heart that says, 
oh God, you are sovereign. You have done this. I didn't add to this. Uh, actually, you love me despite what I've done. Thank you, Jesus. It's the heart that can humble itself, that is prepared to be submissive to the great and glorious reign of our King. A submissive heart both believes and seeks understanding. Maybe when we were reading the story, you thought, well, that's not fair to Zechariah. Zechariah asked for a sign. And sometimes prophets ask for signs. We can see this in the Old Testament where God says something's going to happen and the prophet says, give me a sign. And God says, here you go. Zechariah was given this message. He asks for a sign and Gabriel says, stop talking. And you're not going to talk until, you know, there's your sign. You want a sign, you'll be mute. Enjoy. But for Mary, Mary says, how's this going to happen? Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. It's going to overshadow you. It's going to be okay. And something awesome is going to happen, right? The difference that Luke points out for us, and he tells us explicitly, is that Zechariah asked from a heart of disbelief. He, didn't, he, he wasn't asking for, okay, yeah, God, I believe you. Um, give me a sign. He, he asked from a, um, give me some proof. I don't, I don't want to step out on this promise until I've got proof from that. I don't want to dare to believe that my barren old wife can have a kid until you make it abundantly clear that that's going to happen. Where Mary had what we call faith-seeking understanding. She believed. She believed that God could, could work in her in an even more miraculous way. I mean, Zechariah knew the stories of Sarah and Hannah and Rebecca and, and how God used uh, empty wombs to bring about life in decisive moments in Israel's history. Zechariah knew that. This was in line with God's will. A virgin birth, I mean, it was kind of prophesied in Isaiah 7. But this was brand new. God had not worked in this way before. And, and so for Mary to step out in faith on something that was even more than what Zechariah uh, had been told, wow, what an act of faith by Mary. I say, yeah, God, I believe you. Okay, but I don't have a concept for this, so what's going to happen? How are you going to do this? That's okay to ask that. It's okay to come before the Lord and say, yeah, God, I believe you. Of course I believe you're good. Of course I can believe that you can act outside of the box. But make that step first. Resolve in your heart to believe in God. And then seek the understanding. That's not doubt. A submissive heart both believes and seeks understanding. I know you're king. I know you're sovereign. I believe you can do it. But how are you going to act, God? It seems wacky. It seems impossible. A submissive heart says, yeah, but you're going to do it. And almost gets excited of like, God, what are you going to do, God? How? How? What's going to happen? And that leads to Mary's conclusion here. A prepared, submissive heart says, your will be done. Verse 38, Mary tells Gabriel in response to all of this, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She could say this because she had been given the assurance which all believers have received. She had been given the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Luke, 
is also the author of what book? Acts. Right here at the beginning of Luke, we have these words of the Holy Spirit in verse 35. The Holy Spirit, Mary, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Holy Spirit, come upon you, power. Same exact words in Acts 1.8 where Jesus tells his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And he will, he will give you power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, we look at Mary, and Mary had a very unique and specific role in God's plan, which was to bear the Son of God. But she was given that role and enabled to do that role through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, which, okay, um, as a guy, first off, I probably couldn't bear the Son of God ever. Um, women, you might be able to. We just learned about this in Marriage and Sexuality, the last uh, sermon series. But even more so, Christ has already come, so none of us. That's not going to happen here. Uh, so, so yes, Mary had a very unique and specific purpose here, and the Holy Spirit enabled her and equipped her for that role. But, but we see in the same exact way that the disciples then and now uh, are equipped with the same exact person, the Holy Spirit, to go and not bear the Son of God, but to bear witness to the Son of God. And that's what we're called to. Hearts that are prepared to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive the power to come upon us, and hearts that then are obedient to go and bear witness to the Son of God. A prepared, submissive heart then, after having received the Holy Spirit, and after having received the power from God, says, okay, God, your will be done. We will submit and we will obey. Having received the assurance and the equipping to do what God has called us to do, can't we join with Mary and say, Behold, we are servants of the Lord. Your will be done. <coughs> Ooh, that was unexpected as well, I bet. I didn't see it coming. You have John the Baptist um, back here giving these prophetic utterances to prepare God's people for today. We don't have that today. But John was filled from the womb with the Holy Spirit. We do have the person who filled John. We do have the Holy Spirit that we just spoke of. His job is to point us to Jesus as he assures us that God will see to fruition the work that he's doing in our life as the Holy Spirit teaches us and we learn a tenderness to listen to him uh, by this indwelling of the believer um, and, and through the, the written word of God, the Bible uh, we can have prepared and obedient hearts the same way uh, that, that Mary exemplified in this story. A sensitivity to the Holy Spirit at work within you and a commitment to study and practice God's word, which the Holy Spirit wrote, are the true markers of a heart that is prepared. I just think of the way that Luke made all of these allusions to the Old Testament. He was, Luke was just seeped in the Bible uh, and and it comes out in all of his writing that Luke was prepared to see what God was doing. He was prepared to see uh, that Christ was coming because he had uh, grown up understanding and knowing God's word. And so hearts that are prepared, hearts that are obedient are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And they're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's writings to, to scripture. And so we're seeped in, in that word as well. The heart that is prepared is the heart that is ready to submit uh, to and to obey the king. 
thus enjoying the fullness of his kingdom. And so I invite us this morning, today, prepare your heart. Soften it towards God. Soften it towards others. And submit to the King Jesus. Receive his rule and his grace. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your grace. We pray that you would make us a people prepared. When you call us to obedience, <clears throat> when you call us to share your love, when you call us to step out in faith, give us hearts that are prepared so that we may be obedient. When you do something that is scary or different or outside of what we think our little world should look like, would you give us hearts of obedience? Hearts that are prepared to say yes, to step out in faith, to receive it, to have you work in and through us. Grant us that this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, the band will start a song and you'll have the opportunity to um, <clears throat> reflect a moment and and participate in communion. Here at Friendship Church, we invite those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus to the Lord's table um, to receive those elements as, as a reminder of Christ our King and to participate together. And, and so uh, we, we invite you as well to examine your heart. Maybe there's an area of obedience the Lord is calling you to this morning that you need to say, I haven't been, but I'm going to say yes this morning. Maybe, maybe, maybe your heart is not prepared to receive God. Maybe there's a block of unbelief there, or, or maybe there's a, a heart that's not soft to what God's doing, or a heart that's not soft to others, and you need to confess that. Just examine your hearts. Uh, take a few moments to do that, and when you feel ready, you can grab communion from one of the four stations that we have and bring it back to your chairs, and after the song is finished, I'll come back up and uh, lead us, walk us through communion.